This is week three of Lesson of Titus. Um, I told you last week that we were going to um, come into chapter two, and we are. But I'm going to warn you that we're only going to look into chapter two, verse one. I got really distracted, not distracted, but really drawn into this verse and to see when I started digging and looking into what the words meant. And um, it just made me think about what what does this mean? Why? Okay, if this word is here, what does that mean for me following? And what does that mean if I only read this verse? What does it mean and how do I put it into practice? So that's what we're going to study today. Um, and it will be, we're also going to be in Hebrews a good bit. So, which is my favorite book of the Bible. If I, have I mentioned that? It's my favorite book. So we're going to, we're going to dig into that a little bit. So just to recap chapter one and week one, we talked about what the background that, you know, the geographical place, who the author was, who the recipient was, and all of those kinds of things. So we've done all that. Last week, we talked about the setting up of the church and Titus. Paul wanted Titus to set up the elders and to get them rolling and to kind of make sure that the structure of the church was in place and that we know and we learned that that's something that Paul did in his churches wherever he was a part of wherever he was setting them up. Um, it uh, makes me laugh because it was referred to as the Pauline method, which makes me laugh. Um, so Paul, the Pauline method set in these, these elders and kind of worked down from there, which as you should. And we looked at the characteristics of what those elders should look like and the character of these men. And yes, they were men and, and what that looked like and how that should structure the church. So chapter two, if chapter one is about the elders and the structure of the church, chapter two is about us. It is about, it's rude. Um, and I had it on do not dis- I had that on do not disturb. Um, so the chapter two is about us as believers and what our role is and what our job is. And I really want to get into that and I really want to tell you what you're supposed to be doing, but um, <laughs> I'll have to wait till next week. So you'll just have to tune in to see what your job is. But um, so let's let's read where am I? I'm in here. Today I'm reading out of the um, the ESV um, version, which is the English Standard Version. And this is the Jesus Bible, and I got it through Passion. And it's the artist one, because look how pretty it is. Um, so, getting back to, why wasn't I ready? Like, I didn't know I wasn't coming. Um, anyway, so, here we go. Ch- chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's it. That's the whole verse we're going to look at today. So we can memorize that. That can be our memory verse. Okay. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So that you there, he's telling Titus, this is what you need to do. This is the groundwork you need to lay. This is the foundation that you, that you need to go into. So I was looking at what sound doctrine means. What is that? Um, And I wanted to say that ASV and NIV both say what accords with sound doctrine. The Christian Standard Bible said proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. The NET, which is the New English translation, says communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. And the New American Standard said speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. 
Well, this all comes into sound doctrine. So we know that what accords, they need to proclaim it. They need to communicate it. Titus was to communicate it. Titus was to speak the things which were fitting that went with this sound doctrine. So accords, I was interested to see what that word meant. And it means fitting, proper, suitable. That's what these other translations, that's why there are other translations. Because it looks at it and says, oh, well, if this is what the Greek word is, perhaps we should write it like this. So that's why there are different translations. It's not like people are just making up words. I promise they're not. These scholars and the way that they dig in and relate what these Greek words mean is is fascinating to me. So I recommend and encourage you if you have, well, first of all, you need to have more than one Bible. I know that's asking a lot. But if you have, it's so fascinating to look and read and see, okay, this is the verse and I know what it says here. I'm going to go check and see what it says over here just to get a better understanding, just to see what it says. That's why I love looking this up. So the rest of Accords, oh, and I was going to say that that word in Strong's Concordance is 4241 and it's prepo is that word for accords, but it means to properly stand out, be conspicuous, especially in a way that is suitable, but like to stand out. And that made me think about being set apart because we know that we're told in the New Testament that we are set apart. And in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites that they were a chosen people set apart for him. And as new, not new, but as non-Jewish believers in Christ, as Christ comes, we are to be set apart. We're not to conform to this world, right? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So that's going to set us apart a little bit. And how do we do that? Oh, well, that's, that's our life, right? That's, that's how we live. That's how we behave. That's these characteristics that We saw that we're listed for the elders, and really, to be quite honest, that's going to be what's required of us as members of the church as well, okay? So that, uh, it also, uh, let me me do this, 1 Peter, about being set apart. It was so good. Clearly, if I didn't write it down, then I wouldn't have said, oh, we can skip it. No, we're not going to skip it. So, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, and I'm back in my NIV here, says... Turn the page. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. You're, this is going to sound so familiar, okay? Prepare yourselves for, for mind, minds, minds for actions. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance means before we knew about Jesus. Um, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's how we're set apart. That's why we are to be that way. Okay. Also, this light on a hill in Matthew, it says, as Jesus is talking on the um, Sermon on the Mount, which, y'all, so good. So many good truths in the Sermon on the Mount. But, um, where is it? It's in chapter 5, 14 through 16. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So there's some of these conspicuously standing out ways that we're supposed to live when we know our sound doctrine, when we know what we believe. So these accords, this sound doctrine Paul uses this word nine times just in the pastoral epistles. That's just three letters. And these books are not long. I mean, Titus is only three chapters. It's not, they're not like chapters and chapters and chapters, pages and pages and pages that it's used nine times. It's in a very short writings that it's used nine times. And when a word is repeated that like that, It means it's important, and it means that we're to take notice of it, okay? So in these nine times, it's written there. The MacArthur notes of that study Bible that I told y'all about last week, the notes for that said, the truth produces spiritual well-being. The things Paul mentions in verses 2 through 10 of Titus pertains to truths, attitudes and actions that correspond to and are based on biblical truth, okay, in order not only to please God, but also have an effective witness to unbelievers. God's people must know truth that leads to spiritual health. So we need this sound doctrine to keep us grounded, to keep us where we need to be so that we're not kind of tossed around and and confused and so that we don't portray a way of life that is contrary to what God and the Bible is saying to the way that Jesus lives so that we aren't messed up and mess up our witness in the story of God because how many times do Christians <laughs> screw it up gosh it's rampant right now right It's rampant. The way that we behave and the way that we're portrayed really kind of puts a dampener on the message of Christ, doesn't it? Yeah, right? That's why it's so important for us to know our character, for us to know what the sound doctrine says about our character and how we should live. Okay? So, what is sound doctrine? Y'all might be saying, all right, you've been talking about it now for 10 minutes. What is it? Tell me what sound doctrine is. Well, sound doctrine, when you look up sound, the Strong's Concordance number is 5198. This is going to be wrong. Hugionio is the Greek. Don't ask me to repeat it. Healthy to be free from debilitation, hence functioning holistically with all parts working together. So sound means it's healthy, it's healthy, it's right, it's working the way that it should, it's functioning. Because if something is healthy, everything is working. Like in our bodies, in our physical bodies, if you have one of your organs that doesn't work, the other ones are going to be affected. It is all tied together, right? And you may say, because if you get into this natural medicine, which is also very interesting to me, If you get into this and you go have tests run and they will say, oh, well, 
this level or this hormone or this enzyme is elevated. Well, that just happens in one specific part. One part of your body might create this enzyme. But that enzyme, like diabetes, for instance, your pancreas makes insulin. Well, when that pancreas can't do that, y'all, I'm not a doctor, I should say. I'm not a doctor, so if I get all this wrong, please forgive me. I'm trying. But if, you, if your pancreas doesn't do the insulin, that throws your whole body off. It's not like the rest of your body goes, okay, we got it. It's going to be fine. You know, eventually you get sick and the rest of your body whoosh, shuts down, right? So that's why sound means healthy. Everything's functioning the way that it should. It's just rolling right along, okay? So what's doctrine? Well, doctrine is word 1319. Here we go again. Uh, didaskalia, probably saying that wrong. Um, and it means instruction. That's all it means. So we have healthy instruction. Here again is the importance of not only Titus and what he's saying and the kind of person he is, but these elders that he's setting up. They have to be able to teach us healthy instruction. They need to be knowing. They need to be knowing. <laughs> that sounded weird. They need to know. And we need to make sure that we are hearing healthy teaching. That means question what I say to you, what I'm talking to you, because clearly I'm not an expert and I don't have all these degrees that would tell me, tell you that will encourage you <laughs> that I'm not crazy, <laughs> that I'm not trying to start a cult. Look at what I say and measure it against what? Against your Bible. That's what you do. That's what we're supposed to do to our leaders. We have to make sure. Here again, John and Shane might say, Emily, please don't say that. I don't want you to say that. But I know that they are encouraged when we get what they're saying. When we understand the messages that they bring to us, when we look at it and take notes and make markings in our book, in our book, in our Bible, or bring a notepad and write them down. When we do that, that encourages our pastors. That they, when we acknowledge the work that they have put in to bring us a good word, or if you have questions about it, saying, hey, in that message, that sermon you preached last Sunday, I, I'm, I'm confused because I thought this meant this. I mean, can you help me out? They're not going to be offended by that because they like this interaction. Remember, there are shepherds. They're supposed to take care of us and make sure that we're all in this big family together, that we're all growing and doing and knowing. So you have to know what the sound doctrine is. You have to rely on what the Holy Spirit teaches you yourself. And then you have to look at our leaders and our pastors and say, yeah, that's right. Wow, that's really good. Or, huh, I don't know. How do I feel about that? Because there are different things. Doctrine is not baptism or christening or sprinkling. That's not baptism. I mean, that's, not, <laughs> that's not doctrine. Those are just different sets of 
beliefs and rituals. Jumping up and down while the music is going. Jumping up and down. I'm sorry, that's not right. <laughs> but it, I've seen it happen. The way that churches worship, that's not doctrine. That's a personal preference. The translation of the Bible that you use, not doctrine. All of these things are not doctrine. The doctrine that we have is what Jesus said. It's what Jesus himself said while he was on this earth about himself, about God, about how we live, how we behave, and then what the apostles and the disciples wrote about him afterwards. That's what our doctrine is based on. This, um, where did I see this? Oh, blueletterbible.org has great resources as well. And this Don Stewart, I read this about when I was looking up sound doctrine. It said, when we get our doctrine right, then all other things fall into place. On the other hand, if we get our doctrine wrong, then our lives will be affected in a negative way. Therefore, we cannot overemphasize the importance of right belief because this should lead to right living. And that's part of what the Cretans were experiencing in this church in Crete. They were having this teaching that wasn't necessarily right, that was confusing, that there were people coming in saying, oh, well, the pagans do it this way, so that must be how this works. Well, the Jews do it this way. And if you don't line up by their rules, then you're out. You're not really a believer. If you don't get circumcised as an adult male... You're not saved. You, you can't claim salvation. And clearly people had issues with that. <laughs> the men were like, do what now? Oh, well, I don't know. Right? Those were the kinds of issues that this church was having because they were, and granted, they were new in the faith. This Christianity and the way was new. It hadn't been around thousands of years like it has been for us. They didn't have this written word, this whole Bible. That's why Paul is writing letters. Hey, let me get this in writing for you guys. Let me tell you what you're supposed to do. Let me give you this set of instructions. This is how this goes, right? Yeah. So as believers, we have to know what our doctrine is. And what did we just say? The doctrine is what Jesus says. That's what he, he said about himself and what he said about God. That's what the doctrine is. We have to know what Jesus was about. And let me be clear here. Jesus was specific. Jesus was very specific in how he wanted us to live. There wasn't gray area. God wasn't gray either. Now, sure, there might be some obscure things that we go, well, I don't, I don't really know what that means. But when he says, do this, don't do this, it's pretty clear. I will not be teaching the book of Leviticus ever, but I encourage you to go back and read that. It's kind of a page turner. You'll read it and go, why is this in here? Was this really an issue? Wow, goodness, God felt pretty strongly about it. He doesn't want us to do that. They're not wishy-washy, abstract ideas. They're concrete ideas. They're specific in how they want us to live. 
we can't be confused. We can't be of this, again, we can't be of this world. Because Satan wants us to live in this world and think, I don't know how God feels about this, so I'm going to act this way. That's not how it is. And the way that we know if it's what God says is to be in his word. We have to know it. We have to read it. We have to study it. And you can say, Emily, I don't, I don't get it. I've tried reading my Bible. I don't understand what they're saying. Then let me encourage you to make this your prayer. Lord, teach me. Help me to see what you want me to see. And I promise he will answer that prayer. If you ask with a sincere heart to please be shown, the Holy Spirit will work. He will bring you that revelation power. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active. I'm going to look at, I'm going to read you exactly what it is because it's too good for me to mess up. Okay. Um, but Hebrews 4, see, we're getting back into my favorite book. Y'all, y'all just, y'all just, y'all just hang on. It's going to be so good. Okay. So Hebrews 4. 12, it's 412 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How many times have you picked up your Bible and read a passage, just two or three verses and seen, oh, has that always been there? Has that always said this? Gosh. That's good. That's really good. I need to write this down. Holy moly. I need to make a note of this. And then you make a note and you write it down and you say, okay, here's what I learned today. Here's what I learned this time. Well, the next time when you think about that, I need to go back and read that. I'm going to get in that scripture, that passage again. And you go back, you may go, huh, that's what I got the last time I read this. Hmm. It's not what I'm getting this time. This time I'm reading it and it's saying, huh. Wow, that's different. So let me take a minute here and to encourage you. See, this is not doctrine either. (laughs) But it's so helpful because I know that there are people that are going to go, no, we can't do that. Write in your Bible. Mark it up. Mark it up. See all these tabs? See all these things in here? Wow. So that when I come to something, I can say, hey, I've been here before. And guess what? Um... Here in chapter 4, wow, here's my pastor. Here, here, here on March 22nd of 2020, Shane said this and this about this pas- pastor, pastor, passage. This is, what, this is what Shane said. Huh. Let's see. God, that still speaks to me. This is still right. And, and if any of you have listened to... The podcast that John and I do, um, I encourage you to listen if you don't. It's quite good. Um, (laughs) I do say so myself. Um, But we have talked about when John and I first started doing it, we talked about something and we used to plan way more than we do now. Now we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. And I can tell you that it has been really enjoyable to bring John on that journey with me, right? (laughs) Because that's out of his comfort zone. Um, But I'm bossy and, you know. Anyway, 
one of the first episodes at the, I don't know which one it was, but towards the beginning of the time when we were doing this, I pulled out my Bible and said, John, that reminds me of this passage. And look, next to it, I have written something that you preached in 2014. Here's what you said. Here was the note I took of the sermon that you, that you took, that you said. And I can tell y'all, this was, this was after we quit recording. I do know that. I can tell you that the look on his face as I told him and I had, that he could see that I had made notes about something he said and that it had ministered to me and that I still found that true because he was, because I went home and I told Jim, I said, I got John today. I got him. He got a little, he got a little emotional because that was encouragement to him. That was encouragement to my pastor to say, oh, that was good teaching. That was good teaching. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't mark it up, if I didn't circle, if I didn't underline, if I didn't write it down. I also encourage you to get a journal. I'm not talking you have to write poems and and write down your feelings because a lot of the things that I write, if I read a passage, I'll go, oh, gosh, I got to write that down so I can remember it again. And so when I look back, I can look at the scripture that I've written down and maybe why that meant so much to me that day. Not only that, it helps me to remember it. If I write something down, I have a tendency. Now, I might not get it word for word, much like why I decided I would read 412. I might not get it word for word, but then I'll know where it's in there. And I'm more likely to go, wasn't that Hebrews? That was Hebrews. Let me get in my Bible. And because I've marked things, I can look for where I've marked and say, oh, here it is. Here, here's what I meant. This is exactly what I was thinking of. So anyway, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. So will you hear John and I talking about our rabbit trails? <laughs> that's what happens. Anyway, that was a rabbit trail. So the reason that we need to know our sound doctrine is so that we can stand firm. So that we won't be pulled in many directions. Okay. At this point is when I want to get into really get into Hebrews. So all this extra Hebrews was just bonus material. Okay. So in Hebrews five, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews. There are lots of, there are lots of things. Um, There are lots of theories on who wrote it, Um, but it was written to Hebrew people. So it was written to the Jews, some Jews that were believers. Okay. So Chapter 5, starting in verse 11 of chapter 5, it says, We have much to say about this. And that means all the stuff that he's said before, um, that the writer says before. But it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the is, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, what's that? Therefore, therefore, because we've moved on. 
because we've graduated to solid food, right? Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and to faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. When we come to church every Sunday, our pastors should not be held into this parameter of, okay, I'm, we're coming to church. I've got to preach. <sighs> I'm going to say, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and he died for you. You're clean, you're free. God, that's an important message. It's not to be missed. It's not to be missed. Very important message. Because that's the point of the gospel, is that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again for you. He did that for you. But after you know that, you've got to move on. You've got to dig deeper and move on. So that Sundays, when we come to church, we're growing and we're learning, right? We've got to get better. We've got to know all the things that this Bible says. We've got to know what it says. We have to know. We can't rely just on our pastors to stay where we are, where we want to be comfortable, because once we know it, we can't unknow it, right? And that is a little scary, because once you know something, which is why I think a lot of us don't do this, because once you know something, you have to act on it. The Bible's pretty specific about that too. James talks about it. That if you know what you're doing is not right and you continue to do it, God doesn't like that. And that's where conviction comes in. So we have to know it and stick to it, right? Okay, so, but getting on. So that was hard to hear a little bit. But here, but, but six is so, 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 so encouraging. So we, we're going to skip down to 610. Okay? God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show his name, show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. God sees you. He knows. He's going to watch. He's going to take care of you. He knows what you're capable of. He knows the good things that you've done. He's going he's gonna to count that. You can't stay there. You got to keep going, okay? So we go, go further down. 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now, now remember this, okay? We have this hope 
as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. The sound doctrine is important because it is our anchor. If you put, if a ship puts down an anchor, which is heavy, it's not like a stick that they drop down. It's heavy. And when it hits the ground and it gets down in there, that the vessel is, it's not rigid because that would be bad in another way. That wouldn't be helpful if it was rigid, but it's able to kind of be moved a little bit, but still stay in the same spot. And I thought about this when I was at the beach with my son, Mac, and this has been several years ago, but Mac loves, if you know Mac, you'll be shocked by this. Mac is a very timid child. He will tell you, I'm sensitive. He will cry at the drop of a hat. He loves the ocean. It's so weird. I'm scared. I don't like the ocean. I like to look at it. I don't want to be in it because there are things in there that might brush up against my leg and that bothers me. I just... I just don't want to be there with it. And I have to be very brave with my child and get in and not act freaked out, okay? Because I don't want to ruin it for him, right? So Mac was in the ocean and it was just he and I down there. And the beach wasn't crowded. And I think I was reading a book. I was reading something and I looked up and he was not right in front of me. He was down a little bit. Right? Y'all know that happens when you get in and it, the current takes you a little further. And I said, Mac, Mac. And he finally heard me and looked at me. And oh, yeah, gosh, how did I get? And he said, How did I get over there? And I was like, Well, the current carried you. But you need to look, Mac. You need to pay attention every once in a while. Just kind of look up and make sure that you know where you are, right? Because I'm his mother and I'm watching and I was taking care of him, though I was distracted by my book. I did eventually call him, but I didn't hound him to stay right in front of me. I mean, that would be an exhausting battle for Mac to battle the waves and just stay. I mean, he wouldn't last very long. But when he saw how far he had drifted, he was able to come back. And if he hadn't have been able to come back, guess what? I would have gone to get him and helped him because he had me as his anchor. He had me as that fixed point. That's what God is. That's what his word is. That's what these promises are. To, to stay. He's our anchor. He's our firm spot. He's where we can come back to. And we need to know the sound doctrine so that we can stand firm. Not first and foremost for ourselves. So we won't be batted around and worn out by all the things that want to just knock us down. And the more you love, because let me tell you this, this this is encouraging yet not at the same time. The more you spend time with the Lord, the more you get into his word, 
the more little things are going to happen, the more little things that'll go, oh gosh, the more likely you are to come to church, hear a sermon and go, well, that preacher is crazy. They've gotten it wrong. Not in like that song we sang. Huh. That division, that strife, that conflict is warfare. And this is a different subject than what I plan to talk about today. And I'm not going to go any real deep into it. But we will have those moments that will try and keep us and push us. And that current, like that current that drags us from our point of reference. But because we have that point of reference, we can fight to get back to it. And if we need help, we can say, Jesus, I need your help. Hey, do you see me down here? I need help. And guess what? He will come and pull us in. He will pull you back. He will jump in and get you. He will hold your head above water. I promise. And I can say that with certainty because it's happened to me so many times. Because God is good. And he loves us, even when we don't understand it. Right? Right. So, so what do we do? We got to grab our anchor. We got to keep our point of reference. And in Hebrews 10, 23, see, more Hebrews. Y'all stick with me. Hebrews 10, 23. Where am I? Oh, here. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and have our bodies washed and pure. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful and we need to encourage. We need to encourage each other. We need to reach out to each other and tell each other, hey, you got this. You can do it. Remember, God loves you. He's not going to leave you. He's promised. He's promised to be here. Remember Jesus? Remember how he came, he lived, he died, he rose again? Remember how he promised that, that he was going to send a helper to help us? a counselor, someone that could come alongside us. That, that, that's, he's faithful to that. He will do those things. They say, I read this quote while I was studying for this, this study that said that American and Western um, Christianity was a mile wide, but an inch deep. It's kind of upsetting, isn't it? I don't want to be a mile wide, an inch deep. I'd rather be an inch wide and a mile deep, right? Wouldn't that be better? I don't want to be shallow. I don't want to have my my faith be shallow. And so next week when we talk, we're going to see. So if I have this this faith and this, this belief and this passion and this love and this, this knowing that my father, my heavenly father is my anchor that I hold on to. And I know that he's faithful and all the promises that he's made to us, then 
I got to tell people about it. I got to reach out to my brothers and sisters and help them and their walk. I, I got to do that. And so the, next in Titus, next week, we'll talk about what the specific instructions are for the church. The older men, the older women, the young women, the young men for all different things and how we come alongside each other and teach each other and help each other to grow. So next week might be a little convicting. I hope this week was. I hope you'll get in your Bible. So read chapter two for next week. Okay. It's not long. Titus two is not long. And there's some really good things in there. The end of Titus chapter two, the last here, I'll give you a little preview. The last, a little, a little tease, a little tease. Uh, so two in starting in verse 11, see in there only 15 verses in chapter two, so it won't take you long to read, but two 11 through 15 is the whole heart of the message of Titus. Okay. So be encouraged. There's good news coming. It might be hard to hear, but the reward is worth it. Thanks y'all. Life ain't easy. No matter who you are. From the preacher man wearing that three-piece suit To the guy in coveralls fixing your car Thank the Lord, I don't have to walk this life alone I got someone stronger than me Keeps me singing this song I've been through the fire, been through the flood